Greed and murder don't make good side dishes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. And tonight, I want to talk about the case of Jim Webb and Guy Saleo. Jim Webb was born on October 14th, 1965 in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. At a young age, he fell in love with cooking. And it was when he was in high school and took a culinary course that he fell in love. He knew that that was his passion. While in high school is where he met Robin. He was a year ahead of her, but they had a lot in common. She loved that he was ambitious, he was outgoing, he was friendly. She even came home from school one day and told her mom, one day, I'm going to marry that man. He graduated from high school in 1984, and then she followed in 1985. Three days before Robin's graduation, she found out she was pregnant. In January of 1986, they had a boy. They named him Kevin, and they got married just one year later. At the age of 23, Jeff started working at the American Bistro. It was an upscale restaurant, and it was always slammed. They were booked every single night. Although he was pretty much on the younger side, they were really impressed with his work ethic. He was a hard worker, and he was very professional. The American Bistro was getting so popular the owners decided that they may need a bigger restaurant. They wanted to get Jim first dibs on the restaurant, so they gave him one year to prove that not only he could run his own restaurant, but create a following. If he didn't pass, or if he ended up not wanting it, then they would go to somebody else. But he had first dibs. He knew he was going to have to start getting things in order, so the transition would be smoother. He brought on a former friend, Guy Saleo. He taught him the ins and the outs of the restaurant business, knowing that this man will be part owner with him. He needed somebody to work the front aspect of the business, and that's where Guy came in. He'd be dealing with the employees, greeting customers, handling all that stuff, while Jim would be in the back creating all the masterpieces being in charge of supplies and ordering. Well, when the year came up, Jim did it. He proved himself. He bought the restaurant. He was an instant success. It was another hit. The place was booked all the time. By the time the couple had their daughter, Ashley, Jim decided that it might be time for them to also get a bigger building. In 1995, the famous General Wayne Inn went up for sale. It came with a hefty price tag and many needed repairs. The General Wayne Inn was established in 1704. It changed names a few times, but in 1793, during the American Revolutionary War, General Mad Anthony Wayne stayed while it was called the Streeper's Tavern. That's when they decided that they were going to change the name and name it after him, General Wayne Inn. But he's not the only famous person that stayed there. Ben Franklin, George Washington, and Edgar Allan Poe. All the greats. He even wrote part of his famous The Raven while he was staying there. So that's some pretty interesting history. 
they also said that it was haunted. So, yeah, very cool. But think of how expensive that's going to be. They took out a $1.2 million loan. And Guy borrowed $100,000 from his father. Once they got everything up and running, the restaurant did very well. It became successful. He was a really good cook, and I mean, I'm sure the, the name helped a little bit. They were doing well for themselves. That December of 1996, they were able to provide more for their children than they ever had before. December 27th of 96, a call came into 911 around 5 a.m. It was from a woman named Betty, and she was a pastry chef at a restaurant. She called them to tell them that there may be a dead body at the General Wayne Inn and said that she believes that her boss, Jim, had hit his head on something and fell unconscious and they don't know what happened. When police are at the scene, you know, they have to talk to the people who found him. Officers could tell that Betty and Guy were having a hard time with this, but they still needed to talk to them. Betty told them that when she showed up for work, the front door was open. Usually that's not the case, but she did see Jim's car in the parking lot, so she figured he was working. When she walked in and didn't see Jim really anywhere visible, she started to head up the stairs. But as she got closer to the third floor where his office was, his door was closed and she could see the light underneath it. She figured he probably wanted privacy because he was trying to get shit done. So she turned around and started with her day. She started prepping. Guy happened to arrive after, obviously, and... She told him, hey, you know, I think Jim's here. Or maybe he was like, hey, I see Jim's car. I don't really know. So, but what I do know is he went upstairs to check on him. And that's when a scream came out and he came down and told Betty that Jim was dead. 31-year-old Jim was found on the floor of his office in a puddle of blood. Police took a look at that and said, um, I think we're going to call detectives. We're going to need some backup. There was no clear sign of what happened to him. Didn't exactly look like foul play, but they just wanted to make sure. When detectives come, they pretty much take over the case. At first glance, it looked like he had a head wound. What could he have hit his head on? But when they took a closer look, they found a bullet wound in the back of his head. This wasn't no accident. They could also tell that it wasn't a robbery, because not only was there cash still in his wallet, but he was wearing jewelry. Those wouldn't be there if it's a robbery. They know that everyone's really not sure how he died. At least the people who found him made it seem as if they didn't know. So detectives thought that they were going to keep this a secret. Because then that means only one other person knows, other than them. And that's the killer. They knew this was personal. His office was pretty secluded in this restaurant. I mean, we're talking on the third floor. Not to mention, when detectives were heading up the stairs, they noticed how loud they were. You weren't doing a sneak attack in that stairwell. He had to know who did this. They didn't see a gun present, but what they did find in a cash register that was close to his body was a shell casing that belonged to a 25 caliber shell. Looked like this one belonged to a Beretta. 
Robin, Jim's wife, got a call from her assistant. And her assistant's like, hey, what's going on at the restaurant? She's like, what do you mean? There's cops everywhere. There's crime tape. You should really go check it out. She gets in the car and she's on her way. She's running up to the front of the building and they stop her. And that's when she finds out that her husband is dead. They don't know anything. They're still investigating. And pretty much all they know at this point is that Jim is dead. No further explanations. She was destroyed. She was confused. What am I going to tell my kids? How can I do this on my own? I mean, so many things rushing through your head. Who did this? Obviously, detectives have some detective work to do. So they have to look into the people who found him and family members. It's really sad that usually it's somebody that you know. He was literally putting everything he had into this restaurant. He was working seven days a week and like 16 hours a day. While they're looking for motives, they found that Robin did not have a life insurance policy on Jim. They did find one with Guy as the beneficiary for $650,000. But he explained that to detectives that most business owners do this. That way, if something happens, the other person isn't going bankrupt. So that was definitely plausible. They checked out Guy's alibi. They went to the bar and spoke to the bartender. And he did confirm that, yes, Guy was here. And he was even there before Felicia. When they reach out to Felicia, she does agree. Yes, I was there. But she told them that she had to run by her friend's house on the way to the bar. So far, everybody seems to check out. Autopsy showed that Jim was murdered between 10 and 12. And that bullet they found in the register, it matched the one that they found in his head. So now they know for sure that is what killed him. It was a 25 caliber Beretta. Detectives start finding out very interesting things on Guy. Turns out he's married with children. So they're wondering, okay, I mean, obviously a cheater is not a murderer, but could he be capable? Is there a way that he could have done this? Turns out, even though with the restaurant's success, because they had so many repairs to make, everything they were making had to go right back into the business. They were struggling. They ran Guy's name in like the gun database, and it did come up that he owned several guns. He did have a 25 caliber pistol, but it was a Phoenix, not a Beretta. They called him up and said, hey, will you bring us all of your guns? And he's like, yeah, sure. But he never showed up. So that was a red flag. Well, you don't want to bring him in. We'll just come take him. And that's what they did. They got a warrant. They searched the house. They took all the guns, including the twenty-five caliber, which was in a holster. They were taking all of it. They kept coming up with dead ends. They looked at past disgruntled employees. Everybody had an alibi. His partner, his co-worker, his wife, everybody has an alibi. Police were stumped. Every time they thought they really knew who it was, 
something, something didn't work out. They got their break when a man named Jeremy gave them a call. He said he was a former co-worker and he worked with Jim and Guy. While he was working there, Guy used to brag that he had an untraceable twenty-five caliber. This came from his grandfather, who brought it back when he served in World War II. Guess what kind of gun it was? A Beretta. Like, hey, Jeremy, think you could get him to talk? They want to see if they can get him on tape admitting to owning another gun. Because he had already told police that all the guns they took was it. There were no more. Jeremy said, I'm in. And he actually, he killed it. He kind of flipped the switch. He said that police were hounding him because they found out somehow that Guy had this other pistol. And for some reason, they think that he has it. And he's like, dude, what is going on? Where's this gun? And he told him, don't worry, I got rid of it. Don't tell the police what I just told you. Well, I mean, that doesn't exactly prove murder, but it's a good start. He's acknowledging that there was another gun. Guy's girlfriend at the time, Felicia, was a 20-year-old assistant chef when she was working with them. On February 22nd of 1997, she committed suicide. She had shot herself with her father's service pistol. She didn't leave a note. Police really believe that that was a sign that something wasn't right. They think maybe she found out that he used her as an alibi so he could kill their boss. And she just couldn't live with it. In April of 1997, Guy filed for bankruptcy and he closed the business without even telling Robin. They are business partners. That completely screwed her over. She was left with all of their unpaid bills and the remaining restaurant debt. Guy went to work as a sous chef at another restaurant in Pennsylvania. Rachel went to police and told them that Guy came up to her and asked her who would want to shoot Jim. At that time, she wasn't really thinking, but she wanted to pass the information on. They knew that was another checkmark against Guy. She never heard from him, never saw him again, until it was the day of closing. She said in the show in Ice Cold Blood on Oxygen that he acted like nothing, nothing even happened. Like they were besties. The last that I know, it was sold in 2005 and it was converted into a Jewish synagogue and community center. Something else she said on that show, it just really touched my heart. Um, After Jim's murder, like the next month, both of her kids had birthdays. And of course, there is nothing to celebrate here, but it's also your kids. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to put on a fake smile and you're going to pull it off. I just couldn't imagine November 19th of 1997, Guy was paid on that life insurance policy. Once he was paid, police are like, okay, we really need to get this work in here. Get this crackalacking. So what do they do? They ask Walter Zolnowski if he would go undercover working at the restaurant that Guy was as a dishwasher. 
He wanted to see if maybe he could get close to him. He told other co-workers that he had done time back in the 1970s in Florida for assault. And he was hoping that that news would get back to Guy. I mean, it's been 15 months since Jim's murder. They are not where they want to be. One detective was like, wait, we have that holster. And they started to wonder if he had two separate guns in that holster, would there be impressions for both? Can you prove that there were two different guns in that holster? So they analyze it. They were able to match up the Phoenix. And they were also able to match up a Beretta. They had another replica of it. And like a glove. That's when they decided we got him. We're going to take him to the grand jury. Put him under oath and see if he lies. This is like kind of going to Vegas and rolling the dice though. And let me explain you why. Because if they take him and under oath, he agrees. He actually admits to it that, yes, I do have another gun. They could never touch that information again, showing that he lied previously because he just admitted to it. Now, if he lies, he goes away for perjury. And they can use that he lied at the trial for murder. So it was risky, but it was a risk that they were willing to take. He showed up, and he fucking lied. Gotcha. They had to now explain to the judge why he needs to be arrested for perjury. And proof, here, look at this, look at this. You can see both impressions. He was charged and sentenced to one to three years. I mean, come on, they really only have circumstantial evidence, but it's good evidence. They were even able to do, like, a fake run on the distance to kind of time from when he left the restaurant to when he got to the bar, how long did Felicia take, and what they believe happened is him and Felicia left at the same time. At some point, he turned around. He probably told Jeff, you know, he forgot something. And as soon as Jeff turned around is when he shot him in the back of the head. He never saw it coming. He then left the restaurant, got to the bar, and he was still there before Felicia, making his alibi. August 1st, the case went to jury deliberation. And after only seven hours, they returned with a guilty verdict. He was charged with first-degree murder and was given life without parole. The best part of all of it is Guy never received a penny from Jim's life insurance. When that check came, it was taken so it could repay the debt of the restaurant. He did it all for nothing. That loan that he had for $100,000 from his dad, he had to pay that back by the end of that year. He didn't have it. And his dad was, like, adamant, you will have this. He harassed him over this. He knew he had to have it. Time was ticking. And there was $650,000 just chilling. I think Guy also knew that Jim wanted out of the business because it wasn't providing what they need. And 
he wasn't really happy with Guy. He took this seriously, and he wanted to actually make a name for himself. When Guy, all he wanted to do was drink their booze and flirt with girls. Let me remind you, he's married. So I'm glad he didn't get shit, and I'm glad he'll spend the rest of his life behind bars, because that's where he deserves. He's missed so much. His son, Kevin, has gotten married and has a child of his own. And Robin said on In Ice Cold Blood that when his daughter gets married, it's it's going to tear her apart because he's not going to be there to walk her down the aisle. And that's some bullshit. I'm glad he lied. That's, that's how they knew they got him. It's a real shame about Felicia. You know, that should have never happened. I don't know. In my opinion, I think that if they would have just stayed where they were and not jump it, none of this would have happened. I just want to give a special shout out to Barney and Kyle. Thank you for your messages. And to Amy, thank you for your love and support. It means the world to me. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star review if you listen on Apple and or Spotify or both. I have both on my phone. Bet you do too. If you or yourself know somebody that needs to reach out to somebody, for either mental health or substance abuse, make sure you head over to crimeovercocktails.com. I have a list dedicated to getting you the numbers that you need, pretty much all of life's issues. While there, you can even listen to the episodes if you don't have any apps. Tell me what you think about this case. If you want to reach me to be on an episode, talk about an episode, or if you want to request an episode, you can do that also at crimeovercocktails.com or you can do crimeovercocktails at gmail.com. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.